you have to embrace the resistance. If if people aren't pushing back or looking for gaps in the matrix, then they're not invested enough in how to make it work for them. Embrace the conversations where people are angry, okay? And be a listening mechanism. Be a, a, a embrace the resistance as a mechanism to learn and to do the analysis required to come up with the best logical solution moving forward. I always say, number one, no partner finds it perfect. Number two, embrace the resistance and have the open dialogue. Welcome to this week's Change Agent Podcast. My name is Nathan Lesnowski. I'm your host for today. We're going to have a great show. We're going to talk about how technology is changing the world of business and work. And this week, we have an awesome guest with David Totten. David Totten is the Chief Technology Officer of Microsoft's One Commercial Partner Program. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, I appreciate it, Nate. Thanks for having me along and, uh, and looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, too. So I think we should just start with maybe even explaining what does it mean to be the CTO of One Commercial Partner? And what, you know, what is that job and how does it relate to you? Yeah, sure. What a great job. Um, let me explain it and then I'll see if I can still feel the same way about it. So uh, how we want to think about, you know, delivering value to clients and services and Microsoft's overall mission statement, right, which is to empower every person uh, and every organization on the planet to achieve more. We have a set of first party services we create, uh, Windows, Azure, Biz Apps, you know, our Office 365 stack. So those are first party products. In order to deliver that last mile value to clients, we rely heavily on partners. Partners to build on top of our services, partners to sell our services, partners to implement and migrate from our old products into our new products. And so my job as the US CTO is really to sponsor technical innovation for partners that are building amazing solutions, services, and products on top of our first party services. So a lot of people here in Redmond think about Microsoft and what we can create, the products and solutions that we build uh, ourselves. My entire focus is around the full ecosystem of how partners build on top of that technology to really deliver the value our clients are, are needing. Awesome, that's super interesting. So what does your background look like that you're able to even get in doing such an interesting job? Yeah, Microsoft is a. It, we've been around for a bit in in enterprise and uh, and uh, and product development. Uh, we've done a lot of things, right, in the history of the company. I've been here for for over 15, 16 years now, and I actually started in the product group. So I started in our database product. I'm a data dork through and through. I love relational models and uh, building AI models, machine learning. So I started in our database um, product development group, building that next great version of the of the SQL Server technology service. And so I started there and what happened was, is we ran and we did a lot of modeling and data analytics to really try and understand customer purchase behavior. And I was part of the team that created sort of this algorithm around, hey, customers who have purchased products A, B, and C are most likely to purchase product D, so long as we give them a compelling you know, value proposition behind product D. and the more I played with that model and the data and how we thought about going to customers with a proactive value prop conversation, it turned out I could explain it to customers in a way that says, hey, here's how other companies in your industry or in your vertical or in your geography are taking advantage of this technology, which you may not be aware of already. 
And the more I started facing and talking to customers, the more I realized I really get energy, not from building the product itself, but from helping customers take advantage of, of the product. And so that's when I made the switch to a more customer and partner facing role. And in the past 10 years, I've done a lot of different things, whether it's on our sales and marketing side, whether it's on our licensing and sales excellence, whether it's been a coach for other sellers and digital transformation agents here at the company, uh, to now running our partner technology team. So I think that blend of desire to know and be technically affluent, as well as the business acumen on how technology can be leveraged to really solve you know, critical world problems, I think that's been a pretty beneficial a combination of like from my from my interest anyway uh, that I've been able to progress my career forward just getting different experiences and, and exposure to different parts of our business. You know, I suppose one experience you've had throughout that whole process is the constancy of change. Yes, and the constancy of the evolution of technology at a really rapid rate. And I think one thing I'm really curious about is how your role now as a change agent has had to transform both the internal. Microsoft organization and its relationship to how you then drive change into the external Microsoft partner ecosystem. Now, what's that look right. like for you? Yeah, great, great question. We could talk for a week on this, uh, Nate. I mean, I, I mean, a couple of things. One, Microsoft has evolved, I mean, since I've been here, 15 years, right? Um, you used to describe companies as they're a, a Windows shop, they're a Microsoft shop. There's really no such thing anymore. All companies acquire different technologies from all different providers. And I think where Microsoft has continued to try and innovate and and like all due praise goes to Satya and the, and the culture of innovation and the culture of continuous improvement um, and the growth mindset that he's instilled on all of our senior leaders here uh, to go out and do things differently than what we've done in the past has sort of really encouraged us to think about all the truths and the norms that we knew before, on-premise software, packaged for three-year licensing terms with reduced pricing on renewals, right? Because that's more of a maintenance agreement as opposed to a net new deal. And you're just seeing more and more companies now evaluate technology purchases and, implementation and, and implementing technology much different uh, than they've done in the past. And so my role has dramatically shifted, right? It used to be about secure the base. Now it's about extend our services and what we build as a company so that partners can be super you know, profitable and transformational with their clients uh, on top of our technology. And that's a much different investment motion, right? Like what do we do first party closed ecosystem? And then what do we do once we open up a platform for other people to build on? Um, and I, and I think that that change, you know, obviously wasn't by accident. You know, again, customers are procuring and leveraging technology from all different facets now. The velocity that companies evaluate technology solutions to help them solve problems, evaluate, try, buy, and then implement, that cycle has shortened so greatly, right? Um, and so it's necessary to continue to innovate and think differently about driving technical innovation through channel than we ever have had before. Um, and then the final thing I'll say, and then we'll pause, because I think we're gonna probably wanna, wanna tease out certain things I've said here. Um, the final thing I would say is just the overall ability for technology to be immediately accessible and valuable in changing culture and societal norms. I mean, 
you know, we knew Teams is cool and we think audio conferencing and video conferencing and, co you know, collaboration and co-authoring of documentation is critically important. We think managing IT infrastructure offsite and taking advantage of the scalability and security of a public cloud like Microsoft's obviously makes a ton of sense. You know, it took COVID and the pandemic to hit before you see this extreme adoption, right? And this accelerated adoption of different technologies that enable people to be productive wherever they are, uh, however they're sitting and working with one another. Um, both whether you're a student in a school, you're, a, you're a, a congregation of a church, or you're actually running, you know, commercial enterprises. The connection that people have had to feel and the tools to accelerate that connection or, or embody that connection over a time like COVID has sort of accelerated that technology adoption. And so sometimes, you know, obviously you can't predict a pandemic. I mean, Bill Gates can, but, you know, he's Bill Gates. Yeah. Um, nobody else can really predict a pandemic. But you can make sure that you're building a set of services and operating principles that if a pandemic or if a culture shift hits or if something dramatic happens, you can naturally shift your go to market, your investments, your programs, um, the ease of access right to your products. You can shift that in a very material and fast way to take advantage of you know, what companies need to survive and, and thrive in the in the future, whatever that scenario may be. In this scenario, it's a pandemic. Um, in other scenarios, it could be a major data breach, uh, right? It could be new laws governing data privacy. Um, it could be a truly disruptive technology like DoorDash or Uber, right? Which completely took on the taxi uh, scenario. So, you know, as technology needs evolve, the ability to be flexible and quick to market with how your technology can be leveraged to fill that vacuum, uh, that's something that I think we're very much more focused on here at Microsoft than we've ever been before. It's not just about what are we building because we think it makes sense and it's cool. It's how do we build a set of applications and services that no matter where customer trends or preferences go to, we'll be able to adjust and build better solutions on top of this base layer of services we're creating today. You know, uh, kind of double clicking on that second, that last point that you were just making in respect to the, the disruption that's happening within the market. Mm -hmm. How much of that disruption, particularly in the context of the partner transformation that you're driving, you know, if you start with the end in mind, it's Microsoft's mission is to transform those customers and to help them to be able to be the best version of an organization they can be but you're doing that through the vehicle of partners in many cases. How much of that transformation of the partner ecosystem is push? You're pushing to them the transformation you know that they need to receive and execute on. And how much of that is the partner ecosystem being ahead and sort of pulling Microsoft where it needs to go to develop platforms that are responding to the market that they're closer to the ground hearing? All of the above. You know, let's start with the first scenario. Because we've always been built on the backs and strength of partners, it's really hard to get partners who have been a 20-year Microsoft partner to continue to innovate and drive change, mm -hmm. right? Um, we think there's enough customers that deserve the value of an integrated, scalable, secure framework like Microsoft provides that there's opportunities for partners to make money in that, in that operating model and to drive really strong customer relationships and experiences. Um, but if you were with Microsoft 15 years ago, it was prim primarily a transaction fee, right, um, profitability model. 
So when you move the cheese to a partner that's used to sort of thinking about, well, I make money based on every license I sell of Microsoft technology. If you move it more to IP development or managed services or true accelerated consumption of cloud-based services, it's hard. That's hard, right? Like we think about our own internal compensation model for our people and where we want to push our teams. Imagine that at scale times 50,000, right? Because that's how many partners we have in the US ecosystem that are trying to evolve their own compensation models, their own go-to-market investments, their own sort of cost of doing business, you know, operating models. Where do I need to invest in higher talent versus where do I outsource? And that's been really, really tricky for the old school partners to migrate and manage to a new school of where we see value in the partner ecosystem. So, so that's very much true. The latter scenario is also true. Mm-hmm. Born in the cloud partners are very confused with an annuity model. <laughs> They're very confused with on-premise and transaction fees. They're like, why do you have to cap my profitability based on what I'm able to sell and deploy? Like, shouldn't I just get a set percentage of anything I, I bring to you on consumption on your platform? That's a very born in the cloud partner, you know, operational model to take, right? Leave it to me as the partner to develop the COGS model that makes sense for going to market. And then just give me a set percentage of everything that customer buys with you. Yep. Done and done. We don't have operational models to support that. Um, whereas other ISV applications are, are usually the ones I typically use. Typically, ISVs kind of run on a performance-based model, right? Where the more you use our product, the more revenue, right? Um, or the more cost savings you get as a result. And we have this historic legacy pricing and profitability model for channels that we're trying to mold into a new innovative way to think about partner acquisition and growth. But then also we have these new partners that come in and are very confused by by the transaction fee, by the doing business with fees, by the marketing programs and uh, and marketing you know business investment funds that we put out there. It's very confusing to them. It should be just, wait a sec, I'll just sell your services and then you pay me a percentage. How does that not make sense to everybody? And so we actually get it from both sides and it's really hard um, not going to say impossible, but let's just say we're struggling and we're continuing to, to to listen and learn from our channel and from customers how they want to be sold to. How do we think about mixing the old school, historic, relationship-based, transaction-based partners with our new school information uh, and, and IP product companies that then implement at scale? And how do we make sure that both audiences are continuing to meet in the middle and we're driving, again, at the end of the day, really strong fast solutions so that customers can actually go out and solve their problems, right? And so it's it's a challenge and, and we get it sort of both ways. We get a lot of feedback from new innovative partners on how they want to make sure their relationship with Microsoft is profitable. And we still deal with a lot of sort of the 20, 30 year partners that we've got great relationships with on how we they feel like we've moved the cheese to the point it's not profitable, right? To work with us anymore. And so finding that balance has been tricky uh, and we're still we're still running through the permutations, if if you will. So, what do you say to a partner that is resistant? You know, either they're resistant to transform their legacy model, or they're resistant to take their modern model and adapt a little bit to work within a maybe an enterprise ecosystem that might be more complicated. And you know, it's more complicated, but they just haven't met it yet. You know, so you're kind of yeah. two different spots there have 
what do you say to those kinds of partners and how do you how do you shepherd them along that journey? Yeah, the, the good news is I have yet to find one partner who's 100% satisfied with our profitability model. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I haven't found one. Yeah. It doesn't work for, you know, it doesn't work perfectly for sort of anybody. You know, we're talking about change agent and and my responsibility to my team and to our channel and to the company all up and as Microsoft evolves. And one of the guiding principles of change agents, from my perspective, is you have to embrace the resistance. If if people aren't pushing back or looking for gaps in the matrix, then they're not invested enough in how to make it work for them. And so just principle one, embrace the conversations where people are angry. Okay, and be a listening mechanism, be a, a, a embrace the resistance as a mechanism to learn and to do the analysis required to come up with the best logical solution moving forward. Won't be the perfect solution, but until you can hear somebody, you know, physically and emotionally tell you why it won't work for them, you can't get to the next question, which is, well, what's next best scenario? What what's what will get you close enough to make it permissible that you'll believe in us? Okay. Because I've tried for years just to say, trust us. You know, we've we've been doing this for a long time. More partners have made more money with us and more customers have solved bigger problems with us than any other platform provider in the world combined, okay? Microsoft has always done right by our channel partners. Um, so just trust us. We'll always get there. That doesn't work, um, you know, for that sort of near-term and strategic conversation that we need. And so you have to sort of imbit, Im, Im really embrace that resistance and then get to what's what, what makes the most sense. And then let's share data over time and build a model, right? Back to, again, to data modeling days. Like, let's just share examples and data and let's look at it. Let's look at trends. Let's look at what you need, right? Out of cycle, out of pocket, out of design principle to get you past that hump or to make that deal make, make sense to you. And all of those decisions then feed into a broader engine, right, within Microsoft. We got a lot of smart people working on these models and working on these scenarios. And it's sort of just iteratively getting better over time. Mm -hmm. And so I always say, number one, no partner finds it perfect. Number two, embrace the resistance and have the open dialogue. Number three, let's get creative and co-own solution and problem solving together. Number four, trust the algorithms that get built into what works and what doesn't. Trust that over time we'll learn. And then the final point I would say is it takes a certain amount of patience. It, it takes a company of our size, an ecosystem that we drive. There is no perfect fit for everybody. And so it takes time for learnings and, and results to really show up in the next iteration of option, right? So we can't just launch a brand new program or a brand new technology and then say, okay, we built it, now flock to it. We need to get real data around how people are leveraging the technology or how partners are doing business with us to promote solutions. We need to we need to, to let the market take time to give us those insights so that we can be a little bit more knowledgeable, prepared, insightful before we make the next iteration of that plan. And I think that's really, really important. A lot of people get frustrated with the pace of change when you're trying to innovate and drive real world scenarios. For a company of our size, we can do a lot of stuff fast. We can do a lot of stuff that takes a little bit more time better. And we want to continue to promote the law of averages and the law of numbers to be patient with us as we continue to grow and innovate. It may take us longer than a 20-person startup company does, right? Um, and it just is because we're, we're you know, we're, we're touched by 3 billion people on the planet every day. Um, and so how do you make sure 
that you're thoughtful and that you're not, you know, you're throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater when you evaluate innovation and change to the channel. You know, you said something there that really struck a chord with me, which was around this embracing where there's anger or embracing the area where there's friction or issues with the customer. And Microsoft especially has gone through a transformation surrounding becoming more agile, becoming more iterative, releasing more capabilities faster to its customers. And I'm curious how much of that embracing the area where the customer is angry or embracing the, the friction with the customer is due to you know, enabling better empathy and enabling a better enable, uh, enabling yourself to meet the customer where they're at and receive that into your product cycle and be authentic with the customer. Can you speak a little bit about like that transformation internally and how it's factored into some of those areas? Yeah, again, full credit to Sacha and his leadership uh, tone uh, to all of us in senior in the senior, you know, um, in the senior team here that we are all accountable to our own culture of giving people space to fail, of giving people space to think about the trade-offs in any sort of product development or conversation, of, of, of giving the space to our teams to agitate on what doesn't make sense anymore. And, and, and that's okay. That's open dialogue for us to have. Um, you know, when it comes to sort of just market change in general, again, Microsoft, when I joined the company, we built a product and we said we're Microsoft and people are Microsoft shops. So they will adopt and use this product because we built it. Right. And if you're a Microsoft shop, you'll just use what we build mm -hmm. because that's just how it works. Um, we have seen a dramatic shift in that approach where now we seek that input with customers and with partners through partner advisory councils or direct customer engagements through our MTC, you know, technology center collaborations. We seek direct impact on what are critical functions that we think technology can and should be used. And then we go build it. Right. And there's sort of two different software development lifecycle scenarios happening here right now. One, we want to continue to innovate and drive partner transformation or product transformation to go to be more cloud ready, more cloud scalable, more secure. We're going to do that independent of insight. We know what it looks like to make technology available, to solve bigger problems, scalable in a more secure and integrated fashion. We're also going to take the customer first perspective and say, what is critical functionality? And we use that customer scenario, that empathy and drive to really understand how customers can use and promote technology. We're going to use that as the prioritization framework for the work we're doing here. So we know we've got a bunch of smart engineers that are deep in product and really understand how to run feature release in a much more agile way. We're going to prioritize those features based on true and, and real customer you know, insight. And that's something that we've never done before. We really didn't start that customer-based prioritization framework until the past five years. Um, again, specifically with Sacha's growth mindset and trying to understand the if you build it, they will come mentality that Microsoft has always sort of existed with to what does what does the ball club actually want to see for a, from a stadium perspective? What are the fan? What does the fan experience need to be? How are people going to get there? Right. Um, what's the quickest path to getting somebody a glove on their hand so they can go out and feel grounders? And once you sort of picture that perspective from the customer and the gaps that exist in the marketplace, 
um, then you get a, a much more different approach to software development, right? And then the final thing I'll say is we're blessed as a company, Microsoft, we're blessed to have a lot of competitors. <laughs> we're, <laughs> That's right. we're blessed to build and surface solutions and have relationships with clients that a lot of companies want a piece of. And so we get bombarded with unsolicited but very valued feedback on what somebody else does better than us. And we use all that to gain critical mass on what functionality exists via, it could be a niche player, it could be a retail company that wants to be in cloud services, it could be in an advertising, who knows, right? We get a lot of feedback from other companies and innovation on other platforms that's like, hey, that is pretty cool. A lot of customers can use that or have told us they wish we did that. Well, let's go do it then, right? Um, we're secure and confident in, in our own development cycles, in our own scalability, that we feel great about our, our platform. But now we've created this certain amount of humility to really go out and look at who's doing what really, really exceptional that are solving customer problems, and then trying to wrap our own services into that framework uh, to really empower those scenarios that we've never done before. You know, um, Before we sort of looked at competition as a, what do we do to annihilate them? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, in the old days of of competitive nature and the old days of, of Apple or, or Lotus Notes or, you know, these open source was a was a four letter word back in the day. Now we embrace those technology platforms. Right. Because we know there's users and there's critical mass of scenarios there that we can enable and we can make more consistent, more secure, better. And so how do we take those? formerly competitive situations and use it as a platform to build cool innovations into our truly scalable and secure stack. I think we as a leadership team have done a lot more to embrace, again, the competitive scenario and, and do the better together on our platform story a lot more than we've done in the past. You know, you mentioned something very, very interesting that I was going to bring up about the competitors. I feel like that's one of the major transformations that's happened over the last 10 years here is Microsoft lived in a world that didn't have a lot of competitors. It, it owned much of the market that it that it competed in. And now almost every sector, at least in a micro sector, you have a primary competitor that sort of drives you to be better. And you're getting that input of, here's what this competitor does better than you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. You know, that's one element that drives the evolution of a technology platform. I think one question I have is, Sometimes we're responding to that incoming feedback from our customers on what our competitors are doing better, but sometimes we're disrupting a market and fulfilling an unmet need, you know, a need that hasn't been met by a competitor yet, or even a need that our partner community hasn't developed yet. Something that might be coming down the line from Microsoft Research that came first from the academic space, entering into an in-market direction, and then you have sort of select organizations that are starting to bring this into market, you know, what does that element look like in respect to your engagement with the partner community, with the customer community, with the Microsoft community? I mean, that's a, that's a space that Microsoft's blessed to have a lot of money invested in research. I'm interested in kind of what that looks like for you. Yeah. I mean, so to the great question first, we, our job at Microsoft is to develop first party products that partners can take advantage of. There's, there's no, again, like we've been doing this for 40 plus years being servicing both SMBs all the way up to strategic enterprise accounts and Microsoft technology is everywhere. It's everywhere. Yep. Um, 
we're going to continue to extend the scope and the scale of our cloud infrastructure. No matter what, we're going to do that. Where it gets real is where we make bets with partners to deliver that last mile execution. And typically that's in either, hey, somebody else does this really well. Let's go find a partner that can build on top of our platform to displace them, right? Mm -hmm. um, or that comes in the form of unmatched or undeveloped scenarios that haven't been interrupted or hasn't been introduced into the market yet. And I think that's our advantage is Microsoft. I mean, again, I'll tell you, we, we're a platform company. We do everything better than anybody else. We spend more in R&D. We got more patents than anybody else. That's all the stuff you can read about on our Wikipedia page. Right. Where we really excel is picking, investing, and going to market with partners to solve customer problems. Mm -hmm. And that is, our, that is our scale. We are a partner-first company. We've always done that. We've always built and promoted partner solutions more so than our first party solutions. And we've in, like, been the you know, blessed benefactor of incredible scale by doing it that way. If I think about the US, we got 10,000 salespeople in the US, sales, technical, leadership, focused on partners and customers. Across all of our channel partners, it turns into 30 million. You, you understand? Like, think about that scale, right? Like, why are you focusing on making 10,000 people more effective? in direct one-to-one -one relationships versus this one-to-many yep. where you've got this incredible scale of US ecosystem sellers, all powered by the partners that have built technologies or integrating our, our solutions. And so we actually rely on the partners, right, to find the unmet demand or that user scenario that people don't know yet. And then we can put and support that with technical innovation, that's my team's job. Then we can put go-to-market funding to help a partner like, address what they're engaging with, how to drive demand to it, how to create the need for that unmet market demand. And then we've got this incredible co-sell engine where we actually incentivize our sellers to promote partner solutions as well. And that's the that's the recipe, right, to true scale innovation. It's not, oh, Microsoft is doing such a bunch of cool stuff. Listen, we, we do that. That's a fact, you can read it. Uh, you can go out and do your blog searches on bing.com all day long. Uh, to find the cool innovations and services we're launching on a day-to-day -day basis. To drive true client and outcomes-based transformation, it's only done through partners on our technology. It's not the other way around. And again, that's where we have an advantage. That's why partners sometimes get frustrated with us. And they might call us and they say, hey, this other you know player in the space compensates us by this mechanism. You guys need to do that. Partners call us because they realize we're still the best partner to partner with. Mm -hmm. And we want to work and fight every day to earn that reputation, right? And we want to continue to build faith and trust in that reputation. And so our job is to promote those partners and make sure they're profitable with our technology stack because that's the only way you reach those last mile scenarios. And, and again, the true innovation that's necessary. We build scaled data, scaled analytics, right? But without you know, services and IP partners that are specific to healthcare scenarios, how are we going to get vaccine distribution, supply chain managed, right? Um, we only do that through partners, not through some mechanism that Microsoft creates and then goes around to a bunch of customers and says, hey, look what Microsoft has built for you. It's really built on the backs of the partner IP, of the partner services that are implementing those technology solutions. Awesome. Awesome. All right, David, uh, last question here. So I would love to hear a little bit about who has inspired you. I mean, you clearly have implemented change not only within Microsoft, but also in a significant partner community. You've had a long career in helping people to be the best versions of themselves. 
I would love to hear about who's inspired you to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, I've seen a lot of leaders, <laughs> you know, come and go. I've seen a lot of leaders, right? I, again, I sort of start my journey in the art of possible with, with Bill G. We mentioned him earlier. Um, I find the early days of Bill G, that competitive cutthroat, build it and we're better than everybody else model to the how he's evolved to openly embracing you know competition to openly talking to different platforms that provide different scenarios for different problems to really trying to work on a consortium right of solving the world's biggest problems like the audacity of opportunity out there that bill gates is trying to attack is so inspirational to me um on a smaller level obviously like Satya and Guthrie here internally at Microsoft are tremendous cultural builders as well as technology innovation leaders. Um, in our space, Dave Willis, who's my you know immediate boss, I've taken five jobs for in the past 10 years. He just announced his retirement. As a change agent, as a cultural transformation lead, he is the epitome of kind, declarative, right? Um, listening. He listens. He absorbs so much. He's methodical about how to develop an engine so people can operate, you know, as successful as they can. Um, he's not a land grab guy. He doesn't say, we need to go do that, or we need that headcount, or hey, how come we're not getting the right level of attention? He wants to focus on doing the small stuff right that accrues to a bigger, broader impact that is beyond our charter. And I think that aspirationally leads to change agent and innovation over time. And then I'll give you one final, you know, thing that just really inspired me this morning. You know, we have college hires uh, out of grad school, out of undergraduate. And this morning, three of them presented to my leadership team, three things they, they presented. One was, you know, what they've been working on. Oh, sorry. One was what they've been working on and what they love about it. Two was, what they haven't enjoyed quite so much, right? And three is sort of areas of opportunity. And if you think about that early in career to come to a leadership team, to come to a CTO and say, here's what's kind of broken about your guys' model. Hmm. That's inspiring. This new generation of technology leaders that are willing to say, why do we do it that way, right? Why don't we invest more in this sort of partner? Why don't we just take a side project and develop you know, a scenario, you know, we're, we're developing this food bank, Fresh Connects IP with TechBridge, um, a nonprofit. And it's about aligning excess food that exists in these cities with nonprofits and food banks and homeless shelters. Why not go do that? Why not go build that solution, right? Yeah, it's hard to resale. Yeah, the profitability is low. Yeah, it's on a technology platform that's kind of ours, kind of theirs. But why not go do it? It's a problem we're solving. And the more that we innovate and give, again, our team space to go find something they're passionate about and then create the space for them to go do it, it makes their day job and what we're holding them accountable for with the X's and O's and the data hygiene on their systems and the revenue and, and usage you know, commitments, it makes it so much more consumable then, right? And so I'm inspired by the people who are willing to take a meeting or call a meeting with me and tell me that we're doing it wrong. Um, again, embrace the resistance and enable the space to sort of problem solve has been really, really impactful for me in my career. And I say that being a chief agitator and that guy who was coached multiple times to just be careful, know your audience, 
you know, relax, you know, other people's aspirations aren't as healthy or as grandiose as yours. Um, I know that there are so many people in my career that have been accepting of my uh, approach and have nurtured it, have coached me. And, and I want to do the same thing to those people, you know, that I come in contact with as well, Nate. So that would be my not so short answer to sort of where do I find sort of inspiration and where do I see it on a daily basis? I love what you said about the, the new hires in the statement. Why don't we just, because yeah. a lot of people like when they've been kind of in the system for a while, they respond to the, well, why don't we just do this with, well, you don't know how complex it is. You don't know how big of a problem that's going to be to change. And sometimes it's just partnering with that person that sees the end in mind and being the chief agitator to be able to make it happen. So it's, that's an awesome statement from someone who's just joining the company and the openness to be able to receive that input and do something with it real. A hundred percent, right? And now it's on us. It's a comment. Sachet has empowered us as senior leaders at the company to take that feedback and take action with it. The, the worst thing that can come from agitation or innovation, I consider them the same. Agitation, innovation, they're all the same. The worst thing that can happen is we get this energy, we get this feedback, we get these ideas, and then we pat them on the head and say, nah, this is not how it works here. Yeah, thanks for your input. You can't do that. You have to nurture, you have to build, you have to invest, you have to be willing to transform and try new things in order to really bring the ecosystem with you, right? And, and trust me, the more innovation that happens for new to the company, it gives people, the old school people who have been with the company for a long time, it gives them freedom of expression, it gives them freedom of innovation, as well, they see energy, they want to make it uh, and pay it back twice as much, right? And they happen to innovate with a lot more subject matter context or expertise, right? Um, which makes them even that much more deadly. So anyway. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, David. You have such a wealth of knowledge and background and have done so many interesting things. So thank you for sharing some of your time with us and uh, joining us today. Nate, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity. I love the work you're driving with concurrency, obviously. Again, changing the game on how we go to customers with true value and outcomes. And I also would say, you know, thank you for being patient, right? Everybody with us as a company, as we continue to evolve, we're right at the start of our true innovation journey in the cloud and how we enable enterprises to reach their full, you know, their full potential. And so I appreciate all the feedback, I promise. And, uh, and we're taking it to heart as we continue to try and make the world a better place through technology innovation. So thank you for digging in, for your feedback, and for your patience as we work through it. Thank you. And for all the guests that we had on our podcast today that are listening to us live, uh, please uh, please send your feedback. We're looking forward to, to hearing about it, hearing about what you have to say about uh, these awesome podcasts. We'll see you next week, and have a wonderful time out there. 